times in our life when, um, even when there's so much that uh, we should be thankful for, and that we, we are thankful for, there are times even when that's the case that, that we still feel very alone, can feel very isolated. And even though we know in our heads that God is real and, and we've recognized that and we've, we've had even maybe recent moments where we even felt his presence and felt his strength, there's still times that we, in spite of all that, just still feel very alone, very discouraged. In fact, it, it's not even a guess. I'm, I'm sure of it today. There's, there's people sitting here this morning that even as we've worshipped, you're sitting there and really in your heart you feel alone discouraged maybe even tempted to despair i read some good news in in my one-year bible plan yesterday from luke chapter 6 the words of jesus where he says god blesses you who weep now for the time will come when you will laugh with joy and I hope for some of you to receive that today and maybe even at the end of this day or the end of this hour together that there will be a renewed sense of joy in your heart and, and a new faith and confidence that, that God is with you and for you even if you feel alone. With that in mind, as we continue in the history section of, of the Old Testament and of the Scripture, there's a story from the history of God's people that's found in 1 Kings chapter 19. And it's a great story about the, the prophet Elijah. But I want to give you some background before we dig into 1 Kings chapter 19. And some of the background from that is always obviously just going back a few pages in your Bible and seeing what's going on to give context to where you're reading now. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, you kind of find the whole story beginning to develop that, that Elijah is a central character of. And at that time, the, the king... Of, of Israel is a man named Ahab and um, there's a severe severe drought that has come upon the land and Ahab uh, as king is not seeking the right direction and help for that in fact if you look back in first Kings chapter 16 Ahab is described this way Ahab son of Omri did what was evil in the Lord's sight even more than any of the kings before him and there was a lot of bad stuff that went on before him. And it says, And as though it were not enough to follow the example of Jeroboam, a king who did bad things, Ahab married Jezebel, whose name is just synonymous with not-so-nice-a-lady, right? He married Jezebel. Here's her description. She was the daughter of King Ethbal of the Sidonians, and Ahab began to bow down in worship of Baal, the god of Jezebel. And in that, uh, that context, uh, we discover that, that uh, God raised up a prophet to begin to speak the truth to the king and the queen and the whole nation. And his name was Elijah. And as you read about him, some amazing stuff uh, happened in his life. God used Elijah to bring uh, a young boy back to life. Very incredible story there. A widow's son. And then there's this famous contest that goes on in 1 Kings chapter 18. The contest between one prophet of God, Elijah, and 450 prophets of Baal. And it's, a, it's a, this huge battle. It's a 
huge ordeal. It would be something to try to put that onto, onto a screen, a big screen. It, it, it's this, this huge thing that happens, and the whole deal is kind of a big appeal for rain. Because by the time this contest happens, it's been three years since there's been any rain in the land. And we had a long drought last summer of about, what, three months? This is three years. And so they're, they're crying out to, to anybody they, they can cry out to. And these 450 prophets are doing all kinds of wild things. And there's this great contest that goes on. Just one prophet of God. And if you know the story, you know that there's this incredible victory that God gives at the request of Elijah, the one man of faith who cries out. God responds. He sends fire down from heaven first, and then most of all, he sends the rain, the relief, the blessing for the land and for the people. And all that ends up, that's how 1 Kings chapter 18 uh, ends up with that great miracle of the rain coming and Elijah's great victory over these prophets. But then the next chapter begins with Jezebel vowing that she will see Elijah dead. She says, I, I will kill you if it's the last thing I do. Even if it kills me, Elijah is going to go down. And in response to that, even in spite of this incredible victory, in spite of other miracles that have happened, here's where we find Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 3 and 4. It says this, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. And he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. And he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Like I said, there are times when we've, when we've done the right thing. There are times when you've tried your hardest and you've done the right thing. That, As far as God knows your heart, you've done all you know to do what God wants us to do. And in spite of that, there's still times when we are afraid. And times when we're ready to give up. Elijah said, I've had enough. I've had enough, Lord. Can't, I can't take it anymore. And, you know, it, he was facing a, a tremendous death threat from the rulers of the nation, had soldiers at their command, and he was hurting. And he did what we do sometimes when we're hurting. He started feeling sorry for himself. Anybody here good at feeling sorry for yourself? Our, uh, our society... Um, more and more um, seems to encourage this. I mean, there's, there's plenty of stuff on that box in your house if, if you watch it, and there's plenty of stuff on your internet machine to, to just, you know, make you feel sorry for yourself and, and just join all the other people that are doing that, that too. Eugene Peterson, great scholar and biblical scholar and, and the, the guy who who translated, paraphrased the, the message version of the Bible. He kind of talks about this a little bit. He says, The attractiveness of pity and the ugliness of self-pity are unarguable, in his opinion. He says, Yet we live in a society in which self-pity far exceeds pity. Do you understand? 
self-pity versus you feeling pity for someone else. And he said the, the excessive popular genre of literature and the celebrity autobiography that smothers us in self-pitying subjectivism is the unpleasant evidence that we may be the most self-pitying populace in all of human history. In other words, we might be the, be the biggest bunch of whiners ever. And feeling sorry for yourself has been developed into an art form. The whining and sniveling that wiser generations before us ridiculed is now bestseller status among us. I mean, it, it is so much out there. You, you hear an actor who gets a bad review on one of their movies talking about overcoming adversity. You, you hear athletes who are paid millions and millions of dollars. They love to, they're negatively criticized for taking performance-enhancing drugs and talk about they've got to overcome adversity and all the people that are against them. I mean, it's easy for us to feel sorry for ourselves. And Elijah, he was facing true adversity. And it wasn't his fault. And he was afraid. And if you look here, you can see he was exhausted and discouraged to the point of despair. So in that situation that you may find yourself today or down the road when you're afraid, when you're discouraged and often exhausted, what did God direct Elijah to do? Let's take a look. 1 Kings 19, uh, beginning at verse 5. It says this, After he'd said, God, take my life, I might as well be dead. And it says, Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him. God spoke to him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones. Be like, Elijah, eat that bread, but whatever you do, do not touch those rocks. Um, he looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. You know what God might be telling some of you to do today? Or he might tell you in the future when you're exhausted and worn out and discouraged and tired and afraid. He might just tell you to eat. There's, there's nothing metaphorical about that. He told Elijah to actually eat some food. Okay? That's, might be, is that good news? Do you eat? Does that sound good? God's telling you to eat. And some of you are thinking, I wish God would tell you to just move ahead so I can eat sooner. <laughs> Why don't you wrap this up and I'll, I'll do exactly what God told Elijah to do. And then he said, get some rest. Elijah, get some rest, man. You're exhausted. There's a couple of people here right now that are getting rest, and I'm glad to provide that, that opportunity. <laughs> Just simple, basic things. Nothing sounds super spiritual, does it? Just eat, get some rest. Matt Redman is uh, one of the most uh, prolific uh, worship song uh, writers and worship leaders in the past, uh, we'll say about 15 years. Um, 
uh, from Great Britain. Great guy. We sing a lot of his songs over the years, and he's written a lot of songs that people don't even realize. He, you know, You Never Let Go, um, Nothing But the Blood, You Alone Can Rescue, Let Everything That Has Breath. Um, his latest album, 10,000 Reasons, we've been singing that song, 10,000 Reasons. Uh, and uh, that whole album is fantastic. You ought to, if you don't have that, you should download it, you should buy it. Endless Hallelujah, Holy, Magnificent, those songs are fantastic. Uh, several years ago, Matt Redman um, developed an acute form of tendonitis in his arm. And in, in that season of his life, he said he was just, he was just crazy busy as a lead worshiper at his, at his church. He was recording an album. He was traveling around doing, doing worship concerts and events at other churches and all those kinds of things with very little rest uh, in between. And he said it all came to a head one weekend. He, he left uh, England and went to Holland for some worship gatherings. And it was a Friday night, and he said he started to feel a twinge in his arm as he was strumming his guitar. And uh, the pain got so strong that by Saturday it was just agonizing. And by Sunday morning, he said he could barely even move his arm, much less even think about playing a guitar. So he started to seek some medical advice, and he went to two or three doctors who couldn't figure out what was wrong, and then there was a misdiagnosis, and he finally found a specialist who basically said to him, uh, in the non-medical terms, he basically said to him, your, your hand is frozen. And he, he said to him, if, if, if you wait another day or two, uh, it may be permanently like that. And he said it was a very, very scary moment for him. And this uh, lead worshiper and artist and singer couldn't play guitar for seven weeks. And he said during that time, a lot of people came to, to he and his wife and, and, and prayed for him. And he said he definitely appreciated the prayers and the sentiment and the encouragement that they were giving him. But he said there were, there were two or three people that were praying real intensely for him, and they kept praying over him and talking about the work of the enemy. And he said, although that, you know, I believe that's real, he said, in this case, that wasn't resonating with my spirit. He said, because by then, I developed that, a strong conviction that what I was experiencing was God doing a deep work in my heart. And as a lead worshiper, he said, I'd become way, way too busy. And busyness had led me to neglect some of the basic things of my Christian walk with the Lord. He said, this painful time for me physically was like a spiritual pit stop. And he said, a, a chance for God to really do something. And he said, in, the, in those days, God was reminding me. I love this statement right here. He said, God was reminding me that the work of the Lord should never outweigh the Lord of the work. And that I was God's son, adopted son, before I was his servant. And it kind of, he said, just stripped him of pride and, and oh, any overconfidence and just reminded him that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Some of you may really, really need some true rest. And quiet yourself. 
I don't mean that you don't get up every day and do the things you have to do, but find a way to quiet your life down so you can hear God speak to you. Elijah followed God's instructions, the basic instructions. He, he ate, he got some rest, and again, I think that's so important. Here's something I believe very, very strongly. I think it's very biblical, and, and it's something that I've read in other places that God has just kind of confirmed in my life. God has made us body, mind, and spirit. He's made us holistic in that way. And your body and your mind and your spirit are all made by God, and they are all interrelated and connected, and they affect each other. When your body is wasted, it affects your mind. And you can make some really bad decisions when you're exhausted. It's also much easier for the enemy to come and tempt you when your mind's wasted and, and tired. And when your spirit gets discouraged, sometimes it starts displaying itself through your body. I really believe that. Our body, mind, and spirit are connected to one another. So taking care of the basic things like eating right and resting and taking time to pray and meditate and just let God speak into us is so crucial. So God, uh, God instructed Elijah. He followed those basic instructions. And then we find this in 1 Kings chapter 19 at verse 8. It says this, So he got up and ate and drank, and the food God gave him gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights, to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. So God gave him some restoration, some physical strength, and, and, and encouraged him. And then God said, don't just stay here and be lazy forever and self-pity. Now it's time to get up and move and go somewhere. And God took him and led him to the mountain of God, the same mountain where Moses had received the revelation from God and received God's law, God's Ten Commandments to give to His people to show us how to relate to God and relate to others. That same mountain is where He took Elijah. That same place where Moses saw the glory of God. And when he got there, he said to Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. God said to Elijah, Elijah, just go ahead and pour your heart out. Just tell me what you're thinking, what you're feeling. And that's what, God, what Elijah said. I've done all these right things, and I'm the only one. I'm just trying to figure out where I am and what's going on, and I'm really struggling to do so, Lord. Kind of reminds me of a scene, that, that whole struggle to kind of figure out where we are and what's going on. It reminds me of a scene in the, in the first of the Bourne movies, the Bourne identity. Anybody else like those movies? Don't, come on. It's not, you're not going to get struck dead in church because you say you like the Bourne movies. I mean, if you're disappointed in me, please pray for me. I apologize. It's not that I want to do everything that I see there, but, you know, the born, in the first Bourne movie, when, when, uh, when Jason Bourne, played by Matt Damon, he's a CIA agent who has suffered amnesia. Remember the plot? You know, and he, he finds himself in the mountains of Switzerland, and he hitches a ride with this German girl named Marie, 
and he's running from the police, but he's not even really sure why he's running from them. Can't quite figure it out, and he's trying to keep quiet about his situation, and then he kind of he gets frustrated, and, and finally he, he kind of starts talking to this girl that he barely knows, and, and he turns to her, and he says to her, he says, I don't know who I am or where I am going. And they come to this uh, truck stop. Remember this scene? They come to this truck stop on the, on the snowy highway, and, and, and Bourne starts to recount a little bit about what he knows about himself, trying to reach out you know, for clues of who he might be. And, and he looks at the girl and he says, who has a safety deposit box full of money and six passports and a gun? And I come in here, he's talking about the truck stop, I come in here and I look around and the first thing I'm doing is looking for an exit. And she says, well, I see the exit sign too, but I'm not worried. And he goes, I can tell you the license plate numbers. You remember this? I can tell you the license plate numbers of the six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed. And sitting up at the counter is a guy who weighs 215 pounds, and he knows how to handle himself. And I know the best place to look for a gun is in the, the cab of the gray truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile until my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? He said, how can I know that and not know who I am? A lot of us are running around. We're running from something. We're running to something. We're running to somewhere, but we're not sure where. And it's impossible to know where we're going and, and, if, and figure out what's best and who's right. And God's trying to speak to us and put his handprints all over our lives and show us who we are, but God said to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? Tell me who you are, who you think you are. And then he said to him, Elijah, I want you to do something now. I want you to go out and stand before the mountain. And other... To, to paraphrase that, he said, Elijah, I want you to watch and listen. I just want you to watch and listen. And here's what happened. 1 Kings 19, 11, And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. And it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Where and when did God speak? You can, you can answer me out loud. Was it in the fire? Was it in the windstorm? Was it in the earthquake? Was it in the gentle whisper? 
A still, small voice, sometimes we say. Listen, I have had a handful of times in my life, I can't stand up here and say I've ever had a moment where I heard James Earl Jones' voice. God, I've never had... I've never had that big audible moment, but I've had some big moments uh, where a lot was going on, and I felt God was speaking real strongly through that. But mostly, mostly in my life, when I've heard God speaking to me, other than from His written Word, and sometimes over the top of His written Word, it's been a still, small voice and sometimes it's given me comfort that's what a lot of you need today sometimes it's given me peace some of you need that today sometimes it's been wisdom to help me make the wise choice because as we talked about last week our choices have consequences and sometimes it's been a still small voice that was challenging me, pushing me to move ahead, to move forward, to have real faith. So God spoke in that still small voice, and then he said to Elijah, you can look at it, he says, okay, Elijah, let me hear you again. Let me pour your heart out again. And Elijah says the exact same thing that he said just a little bit earlier. Verse 14, Elijah replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets, and I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And then the Lord responds to him. Verse 15, And then the Lord told him, Go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram and then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah to be, replace you as my prophet. And anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. He said... Elijah, you've eaten, you've rested, you've listened, you've listened to me, and now you've got some work to do. Because I want you to know this too today. If you're discouraged, if you're feeling alone, God comes ready to speak to you. He may tell you something as basic as just take it easy and get some rest for a little while. And then when you're ready to hear, he's going to say, listen to me now. And then trust me on this. He's going to have something for you to do. Because he made you to worship. He made you to grow. He made you to serve. He made you to be active. He said to Elijah, you've eaten, you've rested, you've listened. And now you've got some work to do. You need to go anoint the new kings for the southern and northern kingdom. You need to... You need to go anoint Elisha, the prophet who's going to succeed you and who I'm going to do great things through. And then he said, Elijah, there's one more thing. It's one more thing, and it's, it's in verse 18. Remember, Elijah said, I'm the only one. And God said, no, Elijah, you're not. 
I have preserved 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal and never kissed him. In other words, never shown any loyalty to him. You're not alone. There's 7,000 others. And today, I would promise anybody here today that feels alone, you are not alone. And I'm not just talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit that can come and speak to you today, and I pray He's doing so even now. I'm talking about the fact that even in this room you sit in, there's somebody else who's been through something very similar to you, and God's brought them through. And outside of this building, there's hundreds and thousands, even millions of others, and you are not alone. And if you trust in the Lord, He's going to tell you what to do and bring you through. More than once this week, as I was looking at this story, I was reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11. And uh, by the way, if, if anybody knows how it feels to be alone, I mean really alone and discouraged, it's Jesus. Betrayed, forsaken, and there's nobody, nobody else who's ever lived who's felt the burden of the sin of the entire human race on them. Only Jesus. So you talk about knowing how to, what it is to feel alone. And especially when it's not your fault. It's Him. And I love the words in Matthew chapter 11. I, I hope they're familiar to you. If they're not, I hope they become so. And if they are familiar to you, I hope they speak to you today. When Jesus said to us, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And take my yoke. You know what the yoke is? The yoke that went across the top of the oxen, the beast of burden, as they pulled the wagons and the carts. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light. And we know that Jesus grew up in the home of a carpenter. His father Joseph was a carpenter. And the custom of those days, you pretty much did what your father did. And so as Jesus grew up in that carpenter shop, there, there's a legend that grew. It's, you won't find this in the, in the Scripture, but there's a legend that grew that Jesus became a very skilled carpenter himself and became known in the whole region as the best designer of the yoke for the oxen that pulled the loads. I don't know if that's exactly the way it happened or not, but I do know this. Jesus knows better than anybody else the weight that we can handle and the weight that we can pull and the responsibility that we can carry and the direction we need to go. He knows that better than anybody else. He knows what best fits your life. And he's always there. You're not alone. You may be discouraged. You may need to get something to eat. 
you may need to take a nap for about a week. You definitely need to come to a place where you can sit still and be still long enough to listen to the Lord. And when you get there, it's okay for you to just pour it out and say, God, here it is. He can handle that. He can take it. And then if you'll listen, he'll tell you what you need to do, what the steps are. And beyond that, he'll say, and if you'll do what I'm saying, I will be with you every step of the way. Hope you believe that today. I want us to, uh, to go to a time of prayer. Why don't we stand? I want us to sing a familiar song to most of us that reminds us that we just need to lean in close to God, come close to Him. And I want to I want to encourage you that if you haven't filled out a prayer card and you want to do that today, to, to bring it here in faith. I want to encourage you and tell you that these altars are open if you need to come and pray because there might be somebody here today that is just really on the brink of despair. And you so desperately need God to lift you up, maybe somebody to gather around you and pray for you. There may be others that you're just really struggling to hear the voice of God right now. Seems to be drowned out. And you want to seek Him in a new way today. So let's, let's consider that. Let's, let's seek the Lord in a time of prayer. Let's sing together in a moment. Pastor Michelle is going to lead us in a prayer time. Let's not let anything hinder us from seeking God today. Let's enter a spirit of prayer. You sing, you pray, you do what the Lord leads you to do. close to you and never let me go I lay it all down again to hear you say that I'm
Father, you are amazing. Thank you, God, that when we fall alone, that you are there to lift us up, to comfort us, and to be there in the time of our need. God, right now there are so many people in this room that are hurting, that are confused, that are lost. God, thank you all that we have to do is turn around, and you're there. You're not hiding from us, God. You're not playing games. You're there, and all we have to do is turn around and see your face. Sometimes that is so hard for us to do because we we just get busy, like Pastor Jeffrey said, or, or we just get so overwhelmed with with our problems, Lord, that we just, it's just so hard for us to turn around and see you. But God, I pray that right now the people that are off the, at this altar and the people that are in this congregation, Lord, including myself, would just open our eyes and look at your face and listen to your voice, Lord. God, there's many people in here that are in need of a job. There's many people in here that have marital issues. There's people in here that are in sin, God, and don't know how to get out of it. Lord, would you just help us to turn our eyes to you would you just help us to seek you with everything that we have? God, help us to rest. Help us to watch. Help us to listen. Help us to slow down. And remember, Lord, that you are all that matters. You are all that we need. Help us to be. Help, help us to make you all that we want. Help us to just want your will for our lives. And Lord, we sometimes make it harder than it is to come to you. Lord, you're waiting. You're waiting. You are not a God of condemnation. You are a God of grace. Lord, I have been there in the place where I was so deep in sin that I couldn't see my way out. But God, you sought me first. You sought us first in the beginning and you seek us first even when we are in sin. God, help us not to harden our hearts today. Help us to to just listen and believe what you have for us is good, that you don't mean in us any harm. Your rules are not to make us oppressed. Your rules are for freedom, God. You want us to have freedom in who you are. God, I just pray that we would seek that, that we would we would just seek you, seek you, and seek you. That's, that's the only way, Lord, to, to find the peace and the balance in our life. You're the only way. Help us to remember that. Thank you, God, that you never give up on us never run out on us, Lord. We just love you, and we just pray these things in Jesus' name.